Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Welcome. Bet you missed us. That's weird. <laughs> How's your week been in? Um, it's been all right. Sal, I feel like I should be asking you that because it was your mum's one year anniversary. How are you going? How was that? I'm going all right. Yeah, the day wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, to be honest. I think it was like the weeks leading up to it. I was so busy with work. like I actually couldn't come up for air. It was just absolutely manic. And... I was really worried that I was going to, you know, get to the day and just be like a complete heap on the floor. I've heard it's that lead up to it. Like obviously I haven't had the one year anniversary yet. Still got a little while to go. But yeah, I have heard that it is, yeah, more so the lead up than the actual day. It's kind of maybe a bit underwhelming than what you expect it to be. I don't know. Yeah, it was, I think like the week leading up to it, I was just, I, I felt like I was too busy to even really give myself the headspace to think about it and then on the day itself yeah I I was sad but I think I must be having like a fairly strong grief period at the moment because it didn't bowl me over like I thought it would like I was really anticipating that I was going to be like in bed all day not wanting to get up you know I was just going to be like griefy as yeah but it was okay like I you know it, it was I actually felt like it was a day of reflecting you know and thinking about like everything that's happened in the past year you know, what life has been like without her. But I also felt, and I don't know if any listeners have experienced this, but I felt grateful as well for the support that I had around me. A lot of people reached out. I mean, your house is literally a florist right now. Can we just say there's flowers (laughs) everywhere, even in the bathroom? (laughs) It's so, like people and you know some of my friends actually I'm like thank you so much for sending flowers like some of my friends from the UK I was like you really didn't have to do that they're like well you know we listened to your podcast and we took the you know oh taking notes yeah (laughs) um but yeah my house does look like a florist and I love it I want it to look like this all the time but yeah it was um people were amazing and I had a lot of support and I felt very grateful for that but you know on the other hand I was thinking about my mum a lot and I really missed her and I wished that I could tell her everything that's happened in the last year yeah but I wasn't on the floor like I thought I'd be. But, you know, you never know. Like, I might, a grief bomb might be, like, heading my way. Like, I'm <laughs> around be, the corner waiting for you. you just don't Looming. Know. <laughs> yeah. I, so I might be, like, I might have a really shit day tomorrow. It might all come at once. But yeah. it didn't come at me on Friday. So Okay, good. Well, this kind of gives me some hope, you know, getting ready for my big one-year anniversary. Yeah. So, I'll yeah. be there to hold your hand. You will. Thanks, Sal. And um, so we're coming into Christmas the Mm. festive period where people may not be feeling very festive and yeah it's hard when you've lost a loved one trying to celebrate these kind of times so do you want to talk us through who we've got coming on the show today yeah so we've got Stu Henshaw and Stu is a really good friend of mine I've known him for years and we're both expats living in Sydney so we met when we both first moved over here and we were working in PR together and yeah Stu has some really interesting life experiences he lost his mum 
when he was just nine and he he's learned how to cope with grief not only as a child but you know as an adult over the festive period and he's got some really interesting tips and advice on how to navigate the festive period both as an adult and a child so I thought it'd be really interesting to get him on yeah. to share his experience and also his story with losing his mum oh my Ka- god his story it's pretty like, unbelievable like you guys will yeah about to find out but the it's way really that he was told that his mum had died is just absolutely heartbreaking and unbelievable. And, yeah, it also ties in, you know, it's been International Children's Grief Awareness Month as well. So, yeah, it's great for anyone listening who is trying to guide a child through grief as well. And, yeah, some really kind of insights into intergenerational trauma, which is something that I'm kind of newly getting to learn about, which mm. is, yeah, don't listen to me when I try to talk about science, but it's so fascinating, like basically about how trauma can be passed down from generations if we don't tackle our grief head on and, and resolve issues in our life and it can affect the, uh, the younger generation. So all of this stuff is really fascinating. He's, he's, um, he's got some really, really interesting insights on lots of different topics. I think everyone will take something away from it. And, you know, even like coming out as a gay guy um, yeah. without his mum around, um, how he navigated that, why everyone should drink gin and listen to Kylie Minogue at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this story. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's an all-round good egg and he's very, very funny. And he's also our first guy that we've got on the show. We have, yes. So yeah. good to have our first guy on the show. So, yeah, I guess without further ado, should we get him on? Bring him in. Hey, Stu. How are you? Yeah, not bad, won't lie. A bit dusty today, like I said before. A few too many uh, pre-nerved drinks. Thank you for joining us today, Stu. I know you've got a lot of interesting, well, you've got a really interesting story and a lot of interesting things to talk to us today about, you know, your experience with loss and how it's kind of shaped your life and growing up dealing with the loss of your mum and all of the different coping mechanisms that you've learned along the way. So, yeah, really, really grateful for your time today. No, thanks for having me. I mean, 26 years of grief, right? I mean, you two are just the little start of it and I've we got are. a lifetime of it. So it's Grief <laughs> newbies, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. Thank you. Club. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stu, do you want to kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I guess for the Aussie audience, I'm just another British immigrant coming over taking Aussie jobs. But I, uh, I recently got my permanent residency, so I'm basically an Aussie now. Woo! I, uh, I grew up in the regional UK, like farming country. I don't know if, you, if listeners know about Beatrix Potter. She wrote Peter Rabbit, so it's all where that was written. And I mean, it's rolling hills, picturesque. It's perfect if you're... What are you doing here um, then, Stu? This sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate it a lot more now, but I mean, when you're a kid growing up there, it's a bit like, uh, yeah. I just want to play, but I just want to play my PlayStation. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it is a beautiful place to grow up. And then in, in 2014, I moved over here and began my new life. Uh, I'm a comms consultant, uh, which basically means I strategize what to say and do to convince people to buy things they don't really need. <laughs> so, Stu, can you tell us about your mum, Pauline, and how she passed? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was nine, so it's 26 years ago. So I think when you think back to when you're a kid, it's, uh, I, I guess for me, I've blocked a lot of stuff out. So mum was uh, the life of our family. Like she was, uh, she had an infectious laugh. Like uh, she just it was an all round incredible, fun loving person. And she sadly died when she was 34 uh, from cervical cancer. 
so young. And Would I mean, you just, I, so how old are you now? 35? No, 30, I'm 35. Yeah. 35. So that yeah. would have been weird turning your mum's age, I can imagine. Yeah, completely. It was actually, it's one of those things that I sort of dreaded. It was a yeah. really hard age to hit. And I guess it was kind of my benchmark. Like I wanted to get to that age. Like if, like if I died beforehand, it would have been like, oh, sort of failed. But yeah, I, it was a really surreal day. Like I just remember waking up and I was, I don't know why, but in this weirdly sad mood and I didn't know why. And then a few hours later, I was just sort of doing some work and I looked at the date and I was like, oh my God, I'm actually 34 and 100 and whatever days it was. And the age my mum was when she died, I'm like, crap, have I, and you sort of send you into this weird self-reflection period where it's like, have I achieved enough? What have I done in my life? Have I, would she be proud of me? You sort of look at it from a legacy perspective. And then I, I had to get to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm now living for the both of us. Like I'm living the life now that she never got to lead from this age onwards. And yeah, it, it's just, it, this is what I mean about grief. Like grief never goes away. Like that, that was another point of grief that you have to deal with. It's like it's 26 years later and you're still sort of finding out new things about the grieving process catches you by like, surprise doesn't it? it yeah completely it's, it's sometimes a gut punch but yeah it's, it's just one of those milestones and sadly something you'll both eventually have to acknowledge and deal with as well but enjoy the ride <laughs> we've still got 30 something <laughs> years no less than 30 years 30 years yeah so basically my whole lifetime again before i yeah. had the age my mum was which is kind of mental when so you mental mm. so Stu, completely. So your mum was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Mm. And how old were you then when she got the diagnosis? I think, well, as we were kids, it was sort of hidden from us. There was never really any transparency around the detail. It was always much like, oh, mum's not very well or mum's sick. And I think, I think the, the approach that my family took was a very protective approach. Like they didn't want to sort of expose us to what was going on. So we knew she was sick, we knew she was going to hospital, we knew she was having treatment, we knew there was something wrong, but there was never any great explanation. It's a weird one to think back on because I, I, I guess for me, I feel like uh, trauma, your body protects yourself after it happens. And I feel like now going through everything that I went through, I look at it a bit like uh, a scar. You know when you have say, something, a foreign body inside you and your body, and your body forms that really hard around it to protect you from it and I feel that's what my body's done with my trauma is it's created this like protective scar around it that sort of blocks me off from accessing too much of it because it might be too traumatic so it's a weird analogy I know but no it makes sense to, to me I think it's a great description of what happens because it does leave a scar and mm. I think your body does kind of know how to protect you and I think as well with shock is is the main kind of emotion that you feel at first it does protect you from the trauma that's just happened completely and I just think that so when I think back and when you ask about things like that age it's very broad very broad strokes very like there's no real detail but I remember like pinpoints of we knew she was sick we knew she was not getting better because we were told that she was going on a long walk that's how it's positioned to us mummy's going on a long walk oh and then it was this but we got told when we got picked up from school and we're in the car and my dad was driving and he said, you know, mommy's going on that 
long walk while she went on it today. And I just remember I was in the front of the car, my sister's in the back, and she just burst into tears. And I was a bit like, what? <laughs> I don't get it. What, what, what long walk? I don't How remember this. How old was your sister? Uh, so I was nine. She must have been only six, nearly seven. Oh, wow. So, so she's younger. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's younger. So I think my, oh, well, this is about my grief journey, but my sister's grief journey has been a bit different because I think she doesn't hold that many memories. I think when you're six, it's still very much a, it's a you don't really oh, retain a lot of stuff as you get older. But the whole period is actually really traumatic because mum died in June, but her dad, my granddad, had died in the March. So within that short few months, I lost my granddad and my mum. So there was just a That's lot huge. of there's a lot of loss in a short period of time. That's a lot to go through, especially so young. Such a young age. So your mm. dad, so your dad picked you up from school and mm. told you that your mum had you know, gone on the long walk. So you were like, "What? What do you mean? Were you quite confused?" Yeah, I guess I, guess I was really confused. I, 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 maybe it was my body rejecting or my mind rejecting the truth. Like, because me and my mum were like thick as thieves, but I used to sit with her, snuggled up on the sofa. Like they used to tell us all these stories after she passed about, and when we got older and could remember stuff, my gran used to. Like, still tells me to this day how I'd sit on the sofa with my arm linked in my mum while my mum was knitting in front of the TV. So we, me and her were like best mates. And I guess I wasn't ready to uh, like acknowledge that she'd gone or I don't I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing about my nine-year-old brain dealing with the death of my mother and what I'm trying to rationalize it now as I'm older. But it, yeah, it was just weird. And I remember... When dad, because we, we didn't live far from school, so it was literally a five minute drive. So we got home, went in the house, there was neighbors there, there was people, it was just like this weird hubbub of like grief and adults being weird and just not really understanding what was going on. And then I sort of slipped off into the room that she was living in because she lived downstairs, converted the back lounge into her sort of living space. Because obviously she was too weak to get upstairs, and it was it was just easier for her to live downstairs. So, and then her then her body was there. She was just on this bed, like is on her back, like like face up, just not moving. And I was like, oh. so it, she was in this in the back room, and all the adults were in the kitchen and talking. And I just sort of snuck off into her room, and there there she was. And I was like, oh, there's there's mum, but she's not mum. And then I sort of sat on the sofa next to her, and just literally stared at her oh, and I I remember vividly having she used to wear this roll-on deodorant and I just picked up this roll-on deodorant and I just kept taking off the lid and putting the lid back on like on and off and on and off and it was just weird repetitive action and I don't know I was looking at her and I was like is she dead why is she dead what's she doing why won't she wake up I don't understand and then there was I guess now I'm older, I understand what these things are, but there's like those yellow needle bins, you know, when you, the needle um, deposit bins. Uh, anyway, the yellow yeah. needle bin. And I just looked at that and I was like, that's medical, that's for needles. I understand what that is. It's, and then these, and then weirdly in my weird nine-year-old brain, I'm like, did she die normally? Did they kill her? Is it my fault? What's going on? Oh, that's another thing as well, because we've had, we've been late to school that morning, actually. And I remember 
every day I used to go in and give her a kiss goodbye and say, love you, mum, see you later. Oh, she's got a store, blah, blah, blah. And then this one day, the day she died, we were late, which story of my life, I'm always late. And I, we didn't have time. Dad was like, no, no, out, come on, we'll be late, see you tonight. And then we sort of ran out of the house. And I just shouted behind me, bye, mum, love you, see you tonight. And she shouted back. But that, that was it, and I didn't see her again. And I blamed myself for a long time that I was cursed because I didn't go and give her a kiss goodbye. I was the reason that she died. Oh, Stu. Oh, yeah. That's, it's, a, it's weird how your kid brain works when yeah. it comes to that sort of thing. Like, you sort of start bargaining and, like, trying to rationalise it and because you don't know how to, mm. that's where your brain goes. And it's such a hard thing for a nine-year-old to comprehend anyway. Did you find that your family helped to explain what happened how did they kind of explain yeah like how did it go from she's gone for a, for a long walk to explain oh, my mum's body's in here yeah did they ex- yeah. did they sit you down and talk you through you know talk talk about death and, and what had happened or were you kind of left to try and rationalize it yourself uh yeah I mean they probably won't listen but I don't I don't really think my family were equipped to deal with it like I think um I think the whole thing had come as a big hit to them like, I think my mum was like the life of our family and she was involved with everything and she was the light and I think once that light went out it died in everybody like you could see the the, the ripple effect of her death through my dad my grandparents well, my, my grandma had lost her husband and her daughter within four months like she just became a shell of a human and then my aunts and uncles and everybody else and it's, I don't know I think as a, as a kid in the, in the 90s especially this was like 94 like grief and dealing with stuff wasn't really a, a thing and I don't I, I don't remember being sat down I remember being hugged a lot and told that I was loved and all this sort of stuff but there was never any uh, acknowledgement of a, the need of a grieving process or how it works or what yeah no basically no yeah. and I think because they were going through a lot of trauma themselves they didn't know how to deal with it and especially because it, it what it turned out was that it was actually medical negligence of why she died like she shouldn't have died really oh, because really? she went for these smear tests and they apparently came back negative but then she was getting sicker and sicker and she went, I think she had two and they both came back negative and they, they missed the cancer basically until it got so bad that it took control of her body and ultimately killed her. Wow. So, yeah, it's, I think they were dealing with that as well. It's like she should still be here, but she's not because of medical negligence. Now we've got two young kids to deal with. Everyone can't handle their own grief. So it's just, it, it, yeah, it, it was very destroyed. It destroyed my family basically. And there's probably not, you know, a lot of access to the resources that we have nowadays or information even on the internet about grief and and what to do or even, you know, now we can Google how to tell children about death or things like that. But there are books and all sorts of different ways. Podcasts. There were no podcasts back then. That's the thing. It's like hindsight is a a brilliant thing. It's like, oh, if we had this in the 90s, this would have helped the people not be traumatised the rest of their lives. Yeah. but yeah, it's just, it's hard, isn't it? Because you look back and you try not to blame people for doing their best at the time with the resources that they had. But it's a bit like, oh, just do better. Just, mm. <laughs> just 
just ask, like, don't sweep it under the carpet. No, to be under the carpet, like just deal with it head on. Like, and I guess that because my family aren't a group of people that deal with things head on, and I've seen the repercussions of that in my adult life. I deal with things, everything head on. I'm like, if something is uh, an issue or bothering me, or uh, I don't talk about something, or I see a friend that needs to talk about something, like I will call it out, like it needs to be dealt with. Like things left to due especially grief and emotions it, it's not going to end well so i guess what i what has happened because my family weren't able to cope is it's made me acknowledge that and do better as a person that is a positive thing it, it definitely mm-hmm. is you have spoken to me before about the concept of intergenerational grief and how you think that you know the older family members of yours, their experience with grief has impacted younger family members. Do you want to maybe talk to us a little bit about that and how you think it's had a trickle-on effect? Yeah, I, fi- I find it something that I've I've looked into as I'm older. Like I find, as, I think it's with all families, I think that you find things out about them as you get older and know what questions to ask and you hit all families have secrets. All families have stories from when people were younger. Because when you look at it, your parents were your age once upon a time, making the same mistakes as you. Your grandparents were your age once upon a time, and so on. People make mistakes. People do things that become family stories, and they've hidden under the carpet. But in terms of my family, like it, weirdly, I'm affected by grief by World War Two which is a ridiculous thing to say in 2020 for something that ended in 1945. But because my family is such a young family, my great-grandma, I had her until I was in my late 20s, and her first husband died in the war. So my my grandma's dad died, uh, I think it was like 1944 or 1945. It was the last year of the war, I think. So my great-grandma lost her husband in the war. She subsequently married more and I've got lots of lovely great aunties and uncles and adore my family but I think then like my grand doesn't deal with grief particularly well because she says one of her earliest memories is her dad dying and I think she was like five or six and back in the day like you used to get a telegram when someone died in the war and my grand's like yeah I remember dad came home from war once and he ran down the path and I ran out and, and we we hugged and he's my best friend and all this sort of stuff and then he just didn't come home and he died in the war. I was like, oh, okay. And then as you as you sort of try and analyse that situation for them and go, right, if I didn't have support in the 90s as a child that lost a parent, how the hell did a child in the 40s Oh, it would have like, been so tough. Grieve? Like, I don't even think they acknowledge grief. I think it's that whole British stiff upper lip stoicism, just like it, just get on with it and deal with it. Like you don't have to well, think it's that about whole it. Keep calm and carry on, right? It's just... Well, that's the thing. Mm. So I don't know. Like, but she never dealt with her grief, and then as she got older, like she just had more grief because obviously more people died around her. So when her aunt and uncle passed away over the decades, and her sister died in the eighties um, of an aneurysm, so that was immediate grief as well. And then obviously my mum dying and then it's, if you don't, I think if you don't learn to deal with grief properly when you're young, you're not equipped 
pass on that skill to younger generations. I have been really interested in this topic of intergenerational grief since you brought light to it to us um, recently. There's recent studies that's been happening to do with intergenerational trauma and why it is getting passed down from generation to generation. And they have been doing a lot of study around grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and Mm. um, children of people that were in the Holocaust. And what they have noticed now with epigenetics is our DNA is starting to evolve. So if you go through trauma and it's sort of left unresolved, it can leave an epigenetic tag on our DNA. So epi means the outer layer of our DNA and it's kind of like evolving who we are and that's getting passed down biologically to the next generation. So it's kind of like that's the science behind what is happening with this intergenerational grief. It is an actual thing. And there's a lot of scientific study happening at the moment to do with it, which I just think is so fascinating. And it explains that. It explains exactly that, why you may be suffering from trauma from from the war. I mean, I find it absolutely fascinating. And yeah. I, I only I only ever look at it in the context of my family. But, yeah, I, I probably do need to read up on it a bit more. As I get older, I do talk to my family a lot more openly about stuff. Like I've started to start, I, I challenge them in there. Uh, in their grief and their emotions because my my gran has this tendency to dwell like she won't let things go which i guess is a, a symptom of not processing grief properly like she still she stirs the same situations and conversations around in her head and she's been having the same thought processes for pretty much as long as i can remember like 10 20 years ago she was still saying the same things to me it's i'm like, just like ptsd nan. symptoms yeah 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 i'm just like nan you need to go and speak to somebody. No, yeah. why? I'm fine. I was like, okay, you're clearly not, but okay. Yeah. You're, you're eight, 80 something, 84. So let's just do what we can. Like you've got to the late stages of your life, like dealing with it, how you were dealing with it. Maybe let's not rock the boat and try and solve things now. Um, but I kind of, without sounding too morbid, it's like I want her to go to her next life at peace. Like I want her to find peace in a way like it's it's hard for me knowing that i were <clears throat> taking me this long to deal with my own grief but to have a lifetime of grief and never deal with it and process it and acknowledge it and grow from it and that to, that to so for grief to become your entire existence is just sad to me and i'm just like oh, i don't i don't want that for her i don't want the woman that raised me to be sad all the time mm. even though she is 84 like i don't want her to be sad you need to kind of break the cycle, don't you? Well, that's the thing. And like, I think it's taken me and my sister to do it. It's like that my nan, my great nan's grief obviously passed down to my nan, which then she passed down to my dad because my dad and I are estranged. We don't talk. And ever since I was, I was like 17, the last time I lived with him. And he he didn't deal with grief. Like he shut down. He couldn't deal with it. He, his wife died, but he never got the help he needed to. I think he went to see a psychiatrist a few times and it doesn't take the pills he's supposed to because oh, probably revealing too much of my family's uh, detail, but it, he was going to put us up for adoption because he couldn't cope because he couldn't Shame. cope with me and my sister after my mum died. And that's when we went to live with my grandma, who was also dealing with the grief. And it's a bit like, what do you do with these two young kids that, are, that need a lot of attention and care? That need attention and care. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, what, how do you, how do you process your own grief when you haven't got the ability to? 
And yeah, it's just a mess. The whole topic of intergenerational grief is actually fascinating. And if anybody like feels like they're they're affected by it, like look into it. We'll add some links in the show notes to what we've talked about around this topic because I think it is something that people may realize has affected them and you know yeah or maybe suffering the symptoms Mm. of ptsd but having not experienced trauma firsthand themselves wondering why am i experiencing these symptoms Mm. Mm. you lost your mum at nine which is so incredibly young and it's such a big traumatic loss to deal with as well losing your mum how did you think you coped with such a huge loss being so young oh i simply thought i didn't (laughs) you can't you're not equipped you don't have you don't have the, the brain capacity you don't have the brain power you've not learned anything i think as you go through life you learn those skills to deal with uh challenging situations and uh, and everything that's put to you but at nine you don't have the equipment to do it you're not mentally prepared so you you don't cope with it <laughs> like i said before you sort of blame yourself like the fact that you didn't kiss her goodbye which stuck with me for so long is you, you sort of blame yourself as a kid and you try and rationalise it with your kid brain. And what was it like so for you at school, Stu? Did, because obviously I think a lot of other kids wouldn't have lost their mums at that age. Did you find people avoided it at school or was it something that people were conscious of? Yeah, like the way, again, this whole kid thing, is like, I think because you were a kid in the 90s, no one knew how to deal with it. They avoided you. They didn't know how to treat you. So you look, people look at you like, oh, you're like a broken doll or you're like, you're, you're very fragile like so they don't know how to and i remember just sitting at my desk instead of going out and playing with my friends in the playground i'd sit at my desk and cry and and no and nobody and nobody knew what to do like nobody knew what to do it's like you just there's no i mean come on it was the rural northwest of the uk as well i don't think the resources that were provided by the government at the time were amazingly helpful either but even my favourite teachers, like all they could do is like, oh, they're there, like yeah, they don't know what to do. Like, like they wouldn't be able to help you. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I'm probably not the, I'm probably not the first kid to lose their mum, like, but in the area. But I mean, it's, you just don't know. It's just, and then you've got the your friends' parents that start treating you like glass, and you've got the dinner ladies in the playgrounds that are sort of looking after you looking at you and going what do we do with this broken child like it's a bit like people sort of avoid having to deal with you in a way the one positive thing not to keep this all about the negative but one positive thing that did come out of it is that i I lost my mum but i gained so many more mums because over the years like shocker i'm a gay like all my girlfriends that took me home and meet their families and like their mums are so nurturing i think they're i think mums have this amazing capacity and not just mums but women in general have this amazing capacity to be so naturally nurturing and caring and astute to uh, suffering and emotional like hardship and they just give you a hug and then they talk to you and they do motherly things and so over the years i i, I call so many of my friends' parents' mum, it is crazy. But it, it only came as I got older into sort of my like teenage years that I started to have those relationships. Because when you were younger and in it, they didn't know what to do. They, they shied away because my friends still had their mums and it was a bit weird. But I guess, yeah, in the in the immediate 
last moment. Street is like last. No one knew what to do. As it sort of developed over the years, mums knew what to do and they just give you a hug. They told you they knew what you needed as a mum. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. I, I said, again, tangenting, but Mother's Day was always quite a difficult day, especially oh, for you, Sal, given that you've got two Mother's Days now. So great. Yeah, um, one in yeah, yeah. It's, it's March in the UK, isn't it? And then yeah. in Australia, it's May, Don't so it's like it. a double yeah. whammy. Yeah. The double punch, double punch. So look forward to that. Have and I, I guess um, now, you know, with social media, it's everywhere. It's in your face, right? Whereas mm. back then, you know, before Instagram, Facebook, you know, and all the social channels, you mm. could avoid it slightly. Oh, now you're getting emails leading into it going, don't forget Mother's Day coming up in like six fucking months. It's like, I don't need that reminder. Junk. She's dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. All all that Hallmark crap. Anyway, but Mother's Day used to be a trauma, but now it's like I get to celebrate all the amazing women that have had an impact on me and left their mark on me in a way, like to help me. That's lovely so, to I, Yeah, it's incredible. And I'm just, I, I feel genuinely so lucky to have had all these amazing, inspirational women in my life that I wouldn't necessarily have got if mum hadn't have died. And so, I guess some people probably try and push that away as well. It's really beautiful that you, you know, allowed that in in your life. Well, I guess, oh, yeah, I guess that was my my young brain adapting. Like, it, it's hard. Like, going yeah. from being a kid to then a teenager without your mum like it's all very it's hard but then it's like dad going back to the point I made earlier about grandma taking us in as mum died dad then obviously started to get on with his life again and got got girlfriends and all that sort of stuff and we went back to live with them in our early teens and it was weird it was like oh this is new mum this is this woman that I don't really know being super caring and you're my new mum. And then it's a bit like, inevitably, as relationships do, they break down. And then uh, six months later, oh, another new mum. So it, it's hard. So confusing I, as well. So confusing. No, like, I guess for me, it was a very rocky period of my life. I think nine, probably nine to 16. I, I was a very, very lost young man. Like no one properly guiding me. You like, and especially when your mum has been the life of the family, you sort of uh, expect her to be around forever or not. And then you sort of like going, Well, what do you think of this? Am I doing the right thing? And you start obsessing about things. And like I said, 26 years of grief, it evolves along the way. And yeah, it's just how you, you learn to cope with different life stages, I think. And Stuart, how did you deal with um, your sexuality and not having your mum there to kind of guide you or? discuss it or how did you cope with that again i didn't like it was very very hard i guess because as a mum you sort of expect your mum to sort of love you unconditionally and be there for you and you see other friends mums being their best friends and when they come out later in life and i guess again trying to understand where they were coming from like being gay in my family wasn't really that common and accepted so my, my grand struggled with it and still does struggle with it now, even though I've been out since I was like 20. And she just can't, can't get her head around it. Like, and she calls my boyfriend 
I was your mate. And it's, oh, for God's sake, I'm oh, like, come on now. It's 2020. It's like, <laughs> it's tw- come on, like, get, yeah. get your head around it. And like, and she, even now, and I think, I, I hope that she means it as a joke. But she's like, oh, you can, you can always get a girlfriend. I'm just like, seriously, I'm not doing this dance with you. Like, yeah. mm. you have your own little world that you live in. Like, I understand that you were brought up in post-war and homosexuality wasn't the thing and it was illegal and that sort of stuff. So, not, not easy. And I guess jealousy has been kind of a primary thing for me looking at my friends that do get on with their mums and they go to pride they go to bars with them they come to their homes and you see them posting pictures with their like their partners mums and stuff and it's just it's just i think it's just a sadness i think it's it's more of a sadness for her as well because i love i love a party and i know she did and i think that my mum would have absolutely reveled in the opportunity to go to a pride parade. And Stu, so, you you um, were the first gay marriage in Australia, weren't you? At, uh, yes, I at was. Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah. That's but an amazing moment in Australian history. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was it's a pretty uh, pretty weird concept. I mean, that marriage has since ended, but it was it was a big a big thing. It was a big turning point in Australian acceptance of the LGBT community. I think it, it was it was a pivotal moment. It was an amazing experience. And yeah, um, and I guess if mum had been around, then she probably would have reveled in the chance to come and sit on a Mardi Gras float driving up Oxford Street on the other side of the world. It was so much fun. It would have been incredible. I um, yeah. I was one of Stu's groomsmaids. Were you there? Yeah, I was on the phone. Oh, wow. We were, I was a uh, groomsmaid, so there was four of us, weren't there, Stu? And we were, yeah. it was kind of like an 80s-themed wedding, so we had like this bright pink 80s dresses with big shoulder pads. And, yes. Like, yeah, it was, um, it was so much fun. It was like an incredible, incredible day. Oh, I think Takarama is the word that we uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> Taki. Um, Ab Fab were the celebrants, so um, Patsy and Eddie married you, didn't they? I watched watched the clip of it, and I actually was tearing up. It was, yeah, amazing. Yeah, I mean, God, uh, yeah, marriages are beautiful, and I think it is an amazing thing for us to to fight for. And and even, again, like I said, even though the marriage has ended, I'm still very honoured that I had that opportunity to be that person. And I think think the other thing that came from grief, was wanting to be leave a positive mark and do something positive and and leave the world a better place. Like I kind of look at it from what would what would mum how would my, how would I make mum proud? Like what would make mum proud? And I think that getting involved in social justice really sort of helped me. Well, I don't know how much I did, but it helped me sort of justify that thinking process. And yeah. again, I hope I made her proud. I, I wish she was there. And I think I remember giving my, my speech at the at the wedding reception the day after because obviously gay people two day wedding, big um, <laughs> big old party. I just remember like I, I I rarely cry. Like it's a weird thing that like, I rarely cry. But I was giving my speech and I was I started to talk about mum and I, I just remember. That breaking down i was like oh god what's happening what are these why is my eyes wet like, I never <laughs> oh, cry. what are these salty what are these salty water droplets oh. um, she would be so proud of you Stu. absolutely thank you but yeah but i just think it's I, i'm now left with this 
sadness that I don't get to show her what fabulousness gay life and the LGBT community are. Like, it's this community of strangers that come together to support each other. And, and knowing the person that she was from stories that I've been told, she that was completely who she was. She loved helping people. She was so, she was such a beautiful soul that I completely think that she will be there with me holding placards up and marching and protest parades and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, I think she, part of her does live on in me in that sense, in that wanting to be a good person. I think you're doing a good job of that, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) You do, but yeah, it's hard, but I do think, you know, they're around. They're, they're with us and, opening up to believing that like I know I'm struggling at the moment trying to like you know feel her around it's it's a you know it takes a long time I think to get to that but the other night I was having a a moment where I was just like deep in my grief and um just feeling really far away from my mom and really lost in it and just like you know there was no hope and then I was watching some stupid show on Netflix and it was about astronauts and they were in outer space. And um, I was like, you know, hitting that peak breakdown point. And then all of a sudden on the TV show, the song River by Joni Mitchell started playing. And that is like the one song for me where I feel the most connected to my mum. And I was like, what the fuck are astronauts listening to this song in space? I was like, mom, I know you're there. Okay, I get it. You're there. But it's like, you know, they are weirdly there. Like it's all energy and they're around, but it's like, yeah. And we had a um, a weird experience. So the day that we launched the podcast, we went for lunch because it would have been my mum's 65th birthday on that day. So we went for lunch and we were, you know, just chatting and Imogen's sister called her and they were chatting away and Imogen said to her sister that, you know, we're, we're just having lunch because it would have been Sally's mum's birthday today. And her, her sister said, oh, what was Sally's mum's name? And Imogen said, Rose. And her sister said, that is so weird. Yeah. So my sister had gone to see a psychic and the it's, psychic. It's about early August. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's been like just, just under two months ago. Yeah. And in the session, she said, um, who is Rose? Your mum is with someone called Rose. And like my middle name's Rose. I'm pretty sure there's a great great grandmother called Rose, but there was not not a significant person that we could think of who my mum would be with. And Sally and I had sort of toyed with the idea of like the way that we met was just, you know, it was quite unusual. We felt like we were drawn together somehow. We were meant to meet. Like this is sounding super, you know. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. But we have, yeah, sort of stood by that like something higher up was happening for us to have crossed paths. And then we're like, holy shit, like are our mums together? You know, did they, you know, orchestrate this entire thing? Because it's just like, who else would that be? It's just nice to think that they're up there, you know, hanging out yeah. or they've had a hand to play in us in us meeting. But it is that sense of they're looking out for you, mm. that kind of connection. And, yeah, it's nice to think that they're around and they're watching on. And, you know, I'm sure, Stu, that your mum is with you and would be so proud of everything that you've achieved and everything that you've done in your life. Absolutely. You have, yeah, done yeah. so much. And I'm sure that she's watching on. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, thank you. That's really nice. I mean, what's the alternative? She's sat up there wagging a finger at me going, oh, my God, what are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm giving so many signs down there. Stop it. I'm like, no, 
ignoring those roadblocks that you're putting in place. And powering so's through. mum. <laughs> <laughs> you do your thing. Play your half. Do whatever you're doing. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, found, I find that actually quite an interesting journey um, as well. It's a, a, it's a spiritual aspect of loss. I find that, uh, I guess it, it comes down to your beliefs and your spirituality and everything. And um, not, I don't ever, trivial, don't ever trivialize anybody's spirituality or what they believe in. And I guess for me, that's been a journey. Because I, I went to a, a Catholic primary school and was, every day we were taught about Jesus on the cross and all this sort of stuff. We used to have to go to church with school. And it's, it's not something that I ever really bought into. Like, I never really believed it. And then when mum died, I think that's another crisis of self and crisis of faith that you can have during this grieving process is if a higher being whoever you subscribe to is in existence why why do they allow suffering and weirdly one of my favorite topics in high school was religious studies because i was so fascinated by all the different religions and thought processes and belief systems that are out there and i don't really subscribe to one and i think as i'm of an age now where I, I have a very scientific brain. So I, I like to analyze everything and take everything on board and dissect it and look at the pros and cons. And I think now, like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I do have a, a sort of spiritual belief in the the essence of a person. I feel like they they do. And I think I was listening to one of the, the your episodes before and the, the person you were interviewing talked about looking at their parents' body and knowing that they weren't in there anymore and their life essence had gone. And <clears throat> I completely I completely subscribe to that belief system because when I was sat with my mum's body, there was nothing there. Like there was nothing that made her light up. And I feel like that is why when it comes to spirituality, I feel like they do go back into the ether, they do go back into the world and their body goes to breaks down and nourishes the soil and new things grow and it's just that's where that comes from but the essence of their being goes into the ether and that's why i do think that yeah they are around you in whatever form that they are because again not getting too scientific but the human brain is still a complete mystery to like scientists and i think they don't actually know 100 percent how it works i mean like it's I think it's fascinating, and I think that there is that there is something there. But anyway, that's that's a, a, a side note on the spirituality and religion. So I we'll, mean, uh, we could do a whole episode on that. I think could. it's so fascinating. <laughs> we'll get you back on, Stu. Yeah. Reincarnation. No, it's it's so interesting, but yeah, I don't I I don't think when someone dies, that's it for them. Like it can't like it can't be. And it's a mind-boggling mm. thought that 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 it that's it, you know, that that is finito. Yeah, you're, you're done. It's yeah. yeah well, it's... I, I did I did actually for one period of when I was going through this process of trying to understand everything. I I went through a period of believing that that's it. That you just mm. die, like and nothing else happens. Like you just go back to the earth and that's it. Like there's nothing else. But I I, I changed that over the years. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating journey that you go on. It really is. And Stu, we're coming up to Christmas, which can be such a hard time when you've lost someone, and especially as a child. How have you learned to navigate Christmas and those kind of, you know, 
periods of cele- celebration when you actually feel the jolly season. Yeah, when we don't sometimes feel enough. like celebrating. How have you navigated that over the years? Oh, I hate it. I hate it all. I think it's a bunch of Hallmark crap. Tell us what you really think, Stu. <laughs> Christmas isn't real. No need to sugarcoat it. it. Um... Well, I remember last Christmas when I just lost my mum, me and you went on a bit of a gin binge, didn't we? <laughs> oh, I love a bit of gin. Yeah. Me and Stu had a, yeah, we had a gin session. We danced around the living room to Kylie Minogue, I think, for like four hours. Wow. <laughs> oh, God, we didn't. We did, and didn't my we? That was, partner yeah. was here, and he just sort oh, of slipped. Yeah, he just did an Irish exit. He just left. He like slipped out because I think he was like, "I'm gonna leave these guys to it now." <laughs> yeah, it's like mm, yeah. I'm not just gonna sit here and watch these two drink themselves into Christmas oblivion. Um, <laughs> no, I just I struggle with all Hallmark crap though. It's all it's all designed to make money, and they just sort of. Steamroller and everybody else. It's like Mother's Day. No, Mum, you've got a granny. Give us your money. So <laughs> it's a bit like I don't know. I find it a bit consumerist. I mean, I, again, getting into a capitalist consumerism rant, but I just think that the essence of Christmas has been lost. And I think Christmas, like, is a time for joy and being together. And I just think the majority of it's taken over by if you don't buy someone a present, you don't love them. And I find that quite hard. But when you, when again, when you've lost somebody, the joy's gone. The magic dies. Like, yeah. there's no fairies. There's no Santa. There's no reason to smile. You've got a pile of presents that your family are trying to fill that hole in you with. And it's like, dead mum, have a bike. And then what next year? Oh, have a phone. Have this. Have that. And it's just sort of, it's just, Christmas becomes this weird, melancholy sadness. Well, well, it did for my family, but not for a lot of families, I hope. But, um, yeah, it's just weird. And then over the years, you sort of go, oh, hey, Christmas is just another time of year. And then you sort of do a, a 180 and you get so into it and you just want to cook everything and be the light of Christmas. And it's like, oh, crap, what would mum want to do? Did mum like Christmas? Is this right? And it, it's one of those periods where it's like you try and rationalize everything. And it's like, okay, so she's gone. Everyone doesn't talk about her. What do we do? And I don't know. It's just, it's just weird, weird, weird situation. So as a kid, when she first died, I think we went to Disneyland. I think it was, yeah, she died in June 94. And I think in November, December, yeah, December 95, I think we went to Disneyland and we're in America for Christmas. I think broad strokes. Um, Disneyland solves that, all problems for kids. Doesn't it? <laughs> Magical don't, land. No therapist. Don't see Mickey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and I feel like over the years it was sort of like mum was never spoken about. It was sort of glossed over. It was like, well, oh, don't talk about the dead parent. Like it makes Christmas sad. And it's yeah, I don't know. It's like again goes back to that whole. My family didn't know how to deal with the trauma, so they never dealt with it properly. Mm. And as a kid, like Christmas used to be that amazing period of like, oh, Santa's been and what's he got me and, and and being with your family. And I think actually coming on this podcast actually made me have to think. And I was like, oh, there is a video somewhere of the Christmas before mum died. And we're all together. It's both, grand- both sets of grandparents, mum and dad, me and my sister. 
it was our like must have they must have known something was wrong with mum because it was like our last big family Christmas. And there's a video of me playing my sister's Barbie dollhouse. Uh, so if that wasn't a big red alarm going off <laughs> about my sexuality, I don't know what I was. Love that. Um, and then yeah, and it's just fun, and that to me is my last happy memory of Christmas. I remember I was allowed a glass of the orange and champagne mimosa, oh, mimosa. It's called. Oh, yeah. we called it Buck's Fizz don't we in the UK that's it no that was yeah. it yeah that's Bucks it Fizz, Bucks Fizz. Yeah. I was allowed to book yeah Bucks Fizz yeah. mimosa sounds that's so way oh yeah mimosa <laughs> much classier yeah uh, I'll have so a, a Buck's Fizz so you're underage drinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> underage drink underage you'd have been eight drinking. then right no yeah uh, no just, just turn just turn nine oh, so okay so that's your tip um, for getting yeah. through it underage drinking <laughs> get your kids get your kids pissed it's easy for to deal with it and then it's their own problem when they're 18 onwards. No, and I remember having book spheres and I had a glass and I walked into the door and it was like, I'm drunk. It was all up. It was just fun. And it was the probably one of the last positive Christmas memories that I had. And then granddad died, mum died, everything fell apart. No one thought the end. Christmas is it. And I guess over the years, you try and, I don't know about like what, because like we just said before, Sally and I dealt with last Christmas by getting drunk on gin. It's just like, what? I guess for you, Imogen, it's going to be... Help Yeah, I've your got first, a fucking so... one-year-old child. I've got to be like, Christmas! Woo! Like... Yay! Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you. She ain't going to remember. True. So don't worry about True. it. But you get that mum guilt. <laughs> you know, there's the mum guilt. It's like... Oh, know. be guilty next year. Be guilty next year. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> okay. All right. So what do I do? Like... Help me. <laughs> so heal, you... heal yourself. Heal yourself. Do what, what was your mum's favourite Christmas tradition, basically? Oh, she wasn't a massive fan of Christmas, to be honest. Our idea well, of the Christmas tree was it. she had a twig <laughs> that she decorated in the house. We didn't even have a proper Christmas tree. Oh, this is sounding really sad. <laughs> no, it's arty. It's arty. It's just She was very Christmas. arty and unusual. But, yes, we had a twig, um, a branch probably from the yard that we used to hang um, decorations on, and that was that was Christmas. <laughs> Stu, well, that's great. There you go. Yeah. So... Stu, do you have any tips for someone who's supporting a child who's grieving, other than obviously giving them a book spheres or a mimosa? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, from your experience over the years, is there anything that, that you would recommend or suggest to somebody who might be supporting a, a child who's grieving? Yeah, don't block it out. Talk about talk about the person that's missing from that period. If Even if it's a parent, a grandparent, a sibling that's passed away, like, they have to be present. Like the, the point I made earlier about the consumerism of Christmas, like it's all a big joke, but Christmas to me is that time of year where you, in the UK especially, where you travel from whatever part of the country you are in back to your family home and you have that time together. That still needs to be a thing. If you want to heal as a family, that person that's passed still needs to play a role in that in the first few Christmases especially, even if that's what I just said about doing something that they liked about Christmas, share a memory about them, like raise a toast to them, just make them be present. Because I think from a, I think the worst thing you can do for a kid, when a kid, kid's brain is a sponge and they're learning all the time, and unless you acknowledge what's going on, all they're going to do is have more questions. So if it's, 
yeah, if it's a parent that's passed, it's a case of, oh, this was mum or dad's favourite thing to do on Christmas Eve, or just keep the traditions alive. And I guess as you get older, that will evolve. That will you probably stop doing it as much. I mean, we had this weird family tradition of going to mum's grave. It was just like, oh, God, why on earth would a child want to go and stand in the cold cemetery on Christmas Day and visit the the patch of earth where your mother's bones are underneath it. It's just oh. weird. And it's just, um, looking back now, it's like, oh, mm, probably not what I wanted to do. Mm. But, um, but yeah, that, that became our family tradition at Christmas was to go to the cemetery. And it's like, it might help some people, didn't help me. So I think it's more keeping it positive would be my main advice. And, and keeping their spirit them. alive, you know, do, yeah. channeling and doing things that they enjoyed or, you know, keeping traditions that they establish alive as well. I think that's a really beautiful piece of advice, Stu. Well, 26 years, you can make things really go along, don't you? And you get to the end and you're like, yeah, that's actually pretty, that works. That, that bit of advice works. I've tried and tested that a few times. <laughs> I might come and get drunk with you guys and dance to Kylie Minogue this year, if that's oh, all yeah. right. We Sounds like a good idea. We should make it a Christmas tradition. Yeah, I'll bring the gin. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been amazing. It's been incredible. And I think you've, uh, there's a lot of listeners that will really take something away from, from what you've shared with us today. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. I guess it's it's interesting. Like I I said to a, a close friend of mine, like um, I was coming on to do this to do the interview, and they just went, "Why? Why are you dwelling <laughs> on it? Why are you dwelling on it after twenty six years?" And I'm like, "Oh, that kind of annoyed me. I'm not dwelling on it. It's, it's not sort dwelling. Grief grief is something that evolves with you over time, and I think that mm. comment to me made this so important for me to do." Yeah, because had that friend an... experienced loss or or not? No, no, so they don't go. understand. Like, no. no, it's not something that you know. Oh, it's been twenty six years, so you should be over mm. it. Why are you talking about it? Like, you know, basically, it's, it's basically, no... basically, the attitude. Basically, yeah. with the attitude. So I'm just like, mm. but it's also like <laughs> happy for you that you don't understand this feeling of you know grief like it's just it doesn't go away doesn't. i know completely and i think that's the thing that you need to learn over time it's like whatever stage of grief you're in you're always always learning to adapt because you'll come across new situations uh, all through your life where you'll just get hit with this wave of grief so you go oh wasn't expecting that and it, yeah it's just weird like even when i moved moved to australia it was like oh mum would have loved to come and visit me in australia and i'm like in the bush account and it's like so it's all these mm. life periods that you go through and these milestone events where they're not present and you think about them in that situation and, and you have to that you want to share have, with them yeah yeah and you have to navigate acknowledge that emotion and mm. like move on from it but it's yeah it's not something that stops so i'm sad to say given that you're both in the first year of your grief so welcome to Roller Coaster. We've got a long road ahead. <laughs> Thanks. Twenty six years later, I'm sure we'll still be talking about it too. Don't worry. I think yeah. that's why we wanted to create this podcast to start those conversations around grief. It happens to us all, and no one is exempt from grief. No. Yet it's still so difficult to talk about. And I think just being able to share stories of other people who have experienced grief and loss, like your story, Stu will really help other people because sometimes you just need to 
to know that you're not alone because it can be such a lonely feeling even if you're surrounded by people and it's so important that we do talk about grief because to your point like it doesn't go away and people think that you should have dealt with it by now and hang on a minute it's something that it it's with you forever you just learn to navigate the, the you know you learn to navigate it so yeah it's um it's been amazing to to have you share your story and I think talk it's about. yeah I think it'll be so useful as well for anyone navigating loss with a child that's just lost a parent as well what to what to do what to say I guess the older generation as well don't know how to deal with it so thank yeah. you Stu. thank you Stu sure. thank you thank you so much <laughs> and I'll, I'll come on again and rant about uh Anything else that you want me to <laughs> Please. We'd love that. We'll check in again after Christmas and see see how we've gone. <laughs> how much gin we got through. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got like one last weird analogy. Please. Um, but Please, fire it away. Might, it, might, it might be a little bit helpful. But um, I always think of it like we, we grow as people to our lives. And I think like trees grow as well and then if you cut a tree down you can read their rings and see how old they are and when it's like a really perfect um wet weather growing season it's like a big ring and then when it's dry or the conditions aren't great there's like a little bit of growing um and i feel like grief is that dry season like it's a little bit of growth and you might develop knots in the wood and but ultimately you're still growing like you are still a whole person that's growing and i think that you're needing to get back as well as you can be to finding that perfect environment for you to grow in like you don't stop growing so make sure that you are in the best environment for you to do so you have a tree keep growing i love that analogy Mm. and it's kind of like you know your tree may end up looking a little imperfect from being cut down but we you know we rise we rise through it and we rise above it and, and life does go on which is you know, sometimes really hard to comprehend, but mm. no, that's beautiful. Yeah, that branch might be hanging off and that looks a bit yeah. tacky, but yeah. <laughs> a bit mouldy. <laughs> you're, you're still a big, beautiful tree. Yeah. Keep growing. I love green. that. But yeah, oh, thank you so much, guys. It's been really helpful. I know it's nice to talk about mum. I don't get many options or chances to do it. And uh, yeah, so it's been really nice. Thank you. It's been lovely to thank hear you, about Stu. her. Thank you, Stu. Oh, such a good chat. So many gems in that conversation. How good is Stu? He's great. Are you going to join us for the gin binge this year? Mate, right, I am going to pick up some gin on my way home, get ready for the party. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you have Instagram, pop over and follow us on at Good Morning Podcast. We have loads of awesome content that we share daily. We do. We're very active over on Insta, so come and hang out with us. No, that's really weird. <laughs> don't hang out with us but come and say hi and yeah check out our content and if you know anyone who might benefit from listening to this podcast please spread the word about good morning 